What's up? And welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. Dave, Star Wars, man. It's time for this podcast to end, Pat. Push it, push the past away. Yeah, Dave, I kind of wish you were doing this with your shirt off, because then we can make a lot. <laughs> All right. My massive pecs. <laughs> Fucking Kylo Ren, man. Such a good character. We're going to get into it. We have we have a lot to get to today, but before we get going, uh, jumping into Mr. Robots, a lot of music, and, and obviously talking The Last Jedi, please give us a subscription right down here somewhere. Uh, also, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, you can get the pod in any form that works best for you. Make sure you give us some feedback either at, at nostalgiapod on Twitter, or go to iTunes and leave a reading and review. So, last week we posted our Best of TV for the Year pod, which... I walked away feeling like that was a pretty good discussion on most of them. So I just wanted to touch on, though, Mr. Robot. Yeah, season finale was this Wednesday. We mentioned that in the pod last week that we hadn't gotten to see the full season yet. Did anything from the season finale or just the season as a whole stand out to you? Because season two got a lot of backlash, being kind of fatty, indulgent at times. Especially in the beginning. Yeah, and then it, it became much more succinct by the end of the season. This season was very much in the same vein as the last four episodes of last season where it was very succinct telling a story seemed to be moving along the plot was going somewhere i feel like this the season robot wasn't talked about that much no i, I absolutely agree i think i mean it was return the form a lot of the critics are you know concluding their season wrap-ups and whatnot by saying such yeah it wasn't as buzzy as season one was i mean season one was the summer show you know, so 2015, the summer before Stranger Things, really caught a moment, got people's attention, and people like, oh, what? A show on USA is, is good? Really? If you say so. But yeah, I mean, it's kind of disappointing. That's why I try and champion the show as much as I can. I mean, I had the show at number four on my list. You had it at number three, right? I believe I had it at number four as well, because my three, three was, what, three was Rick and Morty. Hope and Left Rick and Morty. Born. Yeah, Rick and Morty's number three. Yeah, so we both had a number four. I, I think that's a great spot for it. I thought the finale was quite strong. Flat out just really entertaining, engaging. I think all the characters ultimately had a good arcs this season. You know, everyone that we know. Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, season four. I, I especially like the, without spoiling anything, the dynamic between Mr. Robot and Elliot. Mm-hmm. I had some up and downs this season. I like where it ended. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the show. I think it's as strong as ever and... Please check out our discussion last week about why the show is so special in the first place. Yeah, definitely. The one thing I wanted to shout out, your man Joey Badass, dude. Fucking amazing in that last I met that guy. What? I said I met that guy once. (laughs) Did you give him a shout out for his robot work? When I talked to him at the meet and greet, I was asking about Mr. Robot. I didn't talk to him about music. (laughs) (laughs) You actually probably really appreciate that because I'm sure people are just asking about his music all the time. Is he going to be on your uh, albums of the year list, which will be coming up in the next couple of weeks? All-American Badass? Yeah. It will be on my top 10 in some spot. Wow. You'll have to tune in next week to find out. Friend of the pod, Sean McKenna, said that it would, it would be on his top 10 as well. So, Oh, I didn't know Sean listened. That's awesome. Yeah, Sean is interesting. He has, he's been he's really behind on music, so he's just been texting me like, what's an album I should listen to? So he, he was like, all I've listened to so far, so far is Kendrick Lamar and All-American Jeez. Badass. And I was like, oh. how about you listen to Lord? And he listened to Lord's like, dude, that album was so good. Like, give me another <laughs> album. I was like, listen to Vince Staples. And he's like, dude, that album was so good. So <laughs> I'm like educating Sean with like my, my best of list this year. It's pretty awesome. That's awesome. It's so why we jump from Robot into a lot of music, which I don't think is going to make our end of year list. But one album 
might. Ooh. Why don't we start with that one then? Because you listened to five albums this weekend, Dave. You were crushing music. Yeah. And I'm guessing the one that you're going to talk about is Brockhampton, right? Correct. Yeah. So the albums we're going to talk about uh, right now, Eminem, Brockhampton, G-Eazy, Nerd, and as well as uh, Jeezy, formerly Younger Jeezy. Young Jeezy. G-Eazy <laughs> and Jeezy. That's, younger Jeezy is Shea Serrano's dog's name. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> young Jeezy. Shout out, Shay. So yeah, Brockhamp. I was, I'm pen- I was penciling in Saturation 1 on my list. Saturation 3 might take that spot. So I think about a little bit more listening to Saturation 3 some more. But yeah, so I've talked about them here and there throughout the year. Saturation 1 came out in June. Saturation 2 came out in August. Saturation 3 came out last Friday, like all those other albums. And uh, Brockhampton is a self-styled boy band, really a rap crew, rap collective, mm-hmm. rappers, producers, designers, artists. A, they got a big roster. But yeah, Saturation really got a lot of people paying attention in the hip-hop scene because on one hand, it's a group, and people always like groups. They're a group that's kind of out there very original, doing a lot of cool things, very reminiscent of Odd Future, you know, about five mm-hmm. years ago, six years ago. Brockhampton, you know, they're newer. They're, they're influenced more of, they're influenced by Odd Future. You can definitely see it in, the, you know, the kind of work that they do. And as well as influenced by Kanye, it's very present. All the group really met on the Kanye to the forum. That's how they all met. And they migrated from everywhere in the country. They now all live together in a house in LA where they re- recorded all this music and, shoot their videos and stuff really display the chemistry that you'd come to expect from a dozen dudes that live together and make music all the time and yeah so saturation three specifically i think it's probably the strongest product to date the chemistry is at its best the rapping is better and better i think they just continue to have all these fresh new ideas and throughout the whole trilogy while not every new idea makes for a good song it's just cool to see that they're trying all this different stuff whether that's these you know, weird experimental hooks, these rap song stuff, or a song like Star on Saturation 1 where they just spit 60 punchlines and it's just fucking amazing to listen to. I think for Saturation 3, the first single, Boogie, is just so jarring because the production is so nerd-esque. We'll get to nerd in a minute. And that song is, like, a, I think my favorite posse cut of the year. It's uh, Kevin Abstract, Amir Van, and Don McLennan, which are, like, the three best rappers in the group, as well as... Matt Champion, who does a lot of hooks, Joba and Merlin, who are like the two kind of wild cards. And they all just trade verses, and it, I think it's a, a wonderful song. Johnny's really good. Alaska's really good. Yeah, I, I think just in general, Brockhampton is something you want to pay attention to if you're someone who is turned off by generic or typical hip-hop, mm-hmm. you know, like trap-inspired stuff. They don't really have trap beats. They make a lot of their own beats, and it's a very nerd-inspired Kanye, like I said. Definitely check them out. Kevin Ashok in particular. Is someone you're gonna to want to pay attention to because he's probably gonna get into film and stuff too. I mean, they already had a little Viceland series going on. I mean, these guys are gonna be stars. Please listen to the Saturation trilogy. Why was this their their concept? These three albums within a year, within a half year, really? It's not really sure. I think they just they're living on top of each other. They're just cranking out music. I think honestly, they have all these ideas and they just want to keep working. Interesting. They haven't done a whole lot of interviews, but they they were just on uh, Zane Lowe leading up to this and that's kind of how i talk about it they're just creators and you know they all they're all like they like working together so apparently the saturation three being the last album of the brockhampton you know as a group was just kind of trolling basically they oh said, really uh, yeah kevin was like if it was the last album i'd be very happy with it but i think we have more to say <laughs> and that does make sense because they're about to go on tour no. after this album while solo work 
is going to eventually come. There's so many of them, so many guys creative. Uh, they'll definitely branch off at some point. But yeah, it's great to hear that they'll keep going. They're just beginning, really. Definitely. One of my New Year's resolutions is going to be to catch up on them. I'm glad to hear that they're not breaking up. This is like, it feels like such a flash in the pan. Like they could have been so exactly. much bigger, but I'm glad that they're they're sticking with it. So Brockhampton seems to be your favorite listen of the weekend. What was your second favorite listen? I don't think I had a second favorite listen. Oh, that's not good. Eminem is bad. I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Nerd. I appreciate, didn't really like it that much. What what didn't you like about Nerd? I just don't think that many of those songs are actually good as songs. Mm. So Pharrell and Chad Hugo, you know, the Neptunes, we know they can make good beats. Some of the production on Nerd's new album, first album in seven years, some of the production's really good. Like, I think those are great beats. Some of it's just, like, loud noise. Like, they're just kind of trying stuff. Mm. And I think Nerd at its worst was just kind of Pharrell's notebook extra ideas things to do and try at the expense of the output of nerd as a group this new album they try and get a little political but i just don't think the songs are that good personally like i like lemon the lead single i think yeah. lemon's awesome but other than that like a thousand the other single with future that is incredibly jarring production but yeah and there's two kendrick verses and andre three stacks verse but i don't really like the songs that much personally what did you think I thought Don't Do It was probably the second best song in the album. I agree, Lemon, carried by Rihanna, mostly in her fucking second fire rap verse of, of yeah. the year, amazingly. Bad girl Riri now. But yeah, Don't Do It. Kendrick basically has like a Andre 3000 bombs over Baghdad type moment where he's just like rapping over this incredibly fast beat. And then, yeah, you're probably going to clown me for this lifting you with ed sheeran i feel like is so whimsical and catchy and just it's kind of like passion fruit for me in a way Mm -hmm. i know it's probably not a a good song but it's so much fun and just like enjoyable to listen to i don't really give a fuck i think it's like halfway through the album where it really shifts a a, a shift where it just gets really out there and all over the place the song esp (laughs) i started off liking it and then the song keeps going for another like four minutes and goes all over the place. So I'm like, what the hell was this? I was listening to it in the car and when it got halfway through and it has like a very distinct shift in the song, I was like, oh, I like that last song. So I just go check it out. I realized it was the same song and I was yeah. like, what the fuck? Like, never, just break never these a up. Good thing. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I wanted to ask, like, what is your view of Pharrell? Because I feel like I don't see him as much as like a musical artist as just like a celebrity icon at this point. But I know he has like a very hist- like history and... and- pretty good career as a musical artist yeah he's a producer first he's like dr dre you know he can write and he can make fire beats and he can help curate an album but when he's carrying stuff with his own vocals it's usually hit or miss like his gangsta grills mixtape where he, where he rapped some people like that I, I think it's pretty pretty cool some people really hate it on move that dope with future he spits an amazing verse the gandalf hat line i still fucking love overall a lot of his solo work was really hit or miss. I mean, I don't think any of those nerd albums are especially excellent. Maybe one of them. I think their second album is probably the most beloved. Seeing music or whatever. Yeah, and then when Pharrell came back into the mainstream with Girl in 2014, that's where Happy was from and you know, got all the Grammy attention. That was really good, but it was just very different from anything else he had done. But yeah, ultimately, he's uh, he made really good beats for the Neptunes. He made a lot of the beats for them, some of the best Jay-Z songs, and he's done a lot of behind-the-scenes work. But, you know, at this point... He's more well known for being a Dude, judge the big of the voice. Yeah. Remember that big fucking hat? Crazy. Yeah, I know. The Gandalf hat. Seems like, what, three years ago? I don't know. 2014? Yeah, that's when he came back. Also, he fucking killed it in for uh, with Def Punk. I think that was really when a lot of right. like, popular was the same moment. started yeah. to get turned on to him again. And then Happy, obviously, was just like stupidly huge. So, Eminem, you said is bad. Yeah, so Revival, first album since 
Marcel Mathers LP2, which was the album after Recovery, mm-hmm. which was his big comeback sobriety album. That's what we're not afraid and love the way you lie are from. So those are his three albums since 2010. And this album is just, it's so corny. It's so cringeworthy. And despite Eminem basically trolling Trump, he's been doing it before the album came out with the, that BET freestyle. It's kind of like he's, he's just p- picking, begging for a fight. And Trump, the guy who never keeps his mouth shut, hasn't said a word about it, which makes Eminem look horrible. But he, he's been picking a fight with Trump, a guy that a lot of his fan base probably voted for. <laughs> Eminem's a guy who, anyone in hip-hop, when we talk about the, you know, the best MCs in the game, we never consider Eminem and his technical ability because in between records, he just goes the fuck away. He's a fucking recluse. And the fact that now he's going to come out and be all righteous and pro-gay, pro-diversity, just a very liberal mindset in 2017. I don't even know if I can buy that from him because he's a guy who his whole persona, his whole career is built off not giving a fuck who he offended. Oh, but now you're actually like kind of a good person just because you got sober. Now, I just don't know if I buy any of this. But even if my opinions of Eminem as a person aside, the music is just bad. <laughs> look at this track list. Look at the features. And you might mistake it for the Suicide Squad album. Yeah, oh, no. Ex-Ambassadors and Pink and Ed Sheeran and Skylar Gray, his favorite fucking singer. I don't know what else Skylar Gray does besides for Eminem <laughs> to give her a phone call. She did kill on, on a SNL, though, so shout out Skylar Gray. Yeah, and she actually does a lot of writing for people, too. But, like, can you do work with anyone else, please? <laughs> oh, Beyonce's on here, dude. Come on. Well, we already knew that, though. Oh, yeah, Walk on Water, this fucking, like, horrible scene where it pretends to tell you, oh, this album's going to be like Jay-Z's 444. Eminem's mature and questioning his career decisions, and he's really woke and self-aware now. Just fucking kidding. Eminem still is so preoccupied about how many words he can rhyme in fucking sentences, all the stupid parlor tricks. I mean, let's look at fucking Hobson. Hobson is really good at technical rapping. Does he make good songs? No. Eminem, you, you used to make good songs. We don't care if you're really good at rapping. That doesn't make good music. But he does all these stupid things. And when you're focused on rhyming, just to rhyme, the lyricism isn't there. And you can look through any of these songs, and it's fucking seventh grade intellect. It's not smart. What's it called? Untouchable. That single with the white boy, white boy chant. The, the fucking cringe, man. I can't fucking handle it. And then the song Remind Me, that samples I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett. Rick Rubin made this song. Eminem, why are you doing that? Like, which drove you to think that was a good idea? Anywhere you look on this, it's bad music. And the song with Alicia Keys is where his most vocal, obvious Trump dig is. But again, like, the songs aren't that good. He can't focus on what he wants to do. Part of him wants to be really woke. Part of him wants to be political. Part of him wants to be the old-school hip-hop head guy. And part of him wants to be the guy that just technically rhymes really well. There's no cohesion. It's a bad album. Well, I don't really have anything to add to that. I, I had no interest in listening to this album. It's interesting, though, because like, you told me to go look up the track list. Kalani's on there. Pink. I do like Kalani. Ed Sheeran. Yeah. You got some talent, but yeah, I don't think Eminem at this point has this fastball anymore. It's kind of sad. It's also 77 minutes long, which is way too long. Which we always talk about how succinct albums are the best albums. So only check out Eminem if you're a sadist or a masochist. Okay, G-Eazy and Jeezy. All right, so Jeezy. I listened to Jeezy's album, Pressure. I think it's his eighth album, ninth album. Really solid. You know, not to attack, they're not going to wow you. It's competent rapping. Actually impressed that I think it's, you know, probably the top half of his good albums, obviously. Thug Motivation is classic. That's years away now at this point. But uh, yeah, it's solid. You okay. know, shout out Jeezy. There's some good good songs on there. 
the song American Dream has some a good verse from J. Cole and a good verse from Kendrick. Awesome. When are we going to get that on. album? Oh, yeah, that album we're never getting. Uh, there's something for it, at least. So, yeah, if you're interested, Jeezy album's not bad. And then lastly, G-Eazy, obviously, has become very famous the past two years or so. Uh, Me, Myself, and I was that huge hit for him, like four times platinum. He was on that Britney Spears song. On one hand, I've been a fan of Jeezy for a long time, ever since, you know, he was underground, an internet rapper, really. And it's funny watching how far he's come, both in terms of fame in terms of you know, he's dating Halsey now, he's very famous. He's a good-looking dude. He's got a ton of Instagram followers. Like he's killing it. But on, one, on the other hand, his first single ever that really got attention was "Run Around Sue," which sampled the song "Run Around Sue" by Dion from 1961. Mm-hmm. He had another song that sampled Janis Joplin. Like he had a very eclectic taste, distinct influence and aesthetic that is totally gone now as he's uh, evolved. And I think he's a better rapper now. But he's gotten more like bland. And I saw it described this way. I know it's going to immediately turn you off. But The Beautiful and the Dam, which is the new album, it's his third album. The subject matter is very views-esque. Views from Drake. What? uh, He's very introspective about like his failures and his ability to keep it going. But then he also relapses into his hard partying lifestyle and, you know, being a lady killer and... (laughs) doing all drugs and stuff so it's very up and down like that no limits the really big hit with cardi b and rocky it's i think it's number 10 right now you know fuck with me and get some money it's a good song it's hot i think i like the bangers on his last album more i think the songs aren't good they're not compelling they're pretty dull the the good songs like they're good intentioned but they're dull he actually sets out to say things and you know try and has a message but i don't think it really comes together so in a sense i'm still like gonna pay attention to Jeezy. i still like him as an artist because he clearly is he's thinking he's not just putting shit out but as i said last year i don't you don't give participation medals for trying to be woke you said that about j cole so let's say that about eminem nerd <laughs> right now and i'll say it about Jeezy. you know it's it's a mixed bag for sure and it's too long woke rapping is just i don't know it's a lane that you have to really be certain of if you're gonna go down i feel like because it's it, yep. it can come across as pretentious so easily and just like makes you sound like you don't really know what you're talking about if you don't do it well. I feel like it's a dangerous game that not a lot of I hope not a lot of rappers go down in the age of wokeness. Speaking of woke, episode seven, the force of woke. Episode <laughs> eight it began right where episode seven left. Well, actually, not not right where it left off. Episode seven leaves off with Ray climbing this mountain, finding Luke Skywalker at the top of this staircase, and handing yep. him his lightsaber. And then it cuts to black. Episode 8 starts off with a really cool space battle scene with a lot of, I don't know, casualties for the Rebels and kind of sets up like the rest of the, of the, the plot of the movie, basically the Empire chasing the Rebels through through the galaxy. And then it cuts to Luke Skywalker and Ray's handing him this lightsaber and he grabs it and throws it over his shoulder. And isn't that the most perfect image for this whole movie? Exactly basically what Ryan Johnson did for this this whole entire franchise with this movie. Yeah, from the, that I guess that second scene, The Last Jedi tells you, Ryan Johnson tells you, that this is not going to be what you expected. <laughs> You're going to be wrong. This is not going to go how you think. Force Awakens ends with a, a, a very effective final scene with Ray Hand Lightsaber. Here, please teach me mm-hmm. You know how to use this, wh- how to be a Jedi. What, what, what am I supposed to do? And then Last Jedi is like, nah, we good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Last Jedi, written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Looper, probably the best episode of Breaking Bad ever. Ozzy Mendez. Brick. He's got a unique touch in yep. Being both a film and TV director is an interesting pedigree to come into this movie. People were saying before that he's probably the most talented director 
to how the Star Wars movie, and I mean, I definitely agree. The way he tells stories and, and the way he shoots them is just gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, that's not even that hot that no, hot of a take. He's competing with J.J. Abrams, which is his best competition, of course, but J.J. is known for other things besides the actual uh, technical ability of being a director. Right. George Lucas, Irvin Kirshner, and what, Lawrence Kasdan? Like, I forget who directed uh, Empire, but like, he's not competing with anyone who made a lot of movies, no. so it's a pretty safe thing to say. The Last Jedi has grossed worldwide $450 million and U.S. and Canada two hundred twenty. It's the fifth largest opening all time yep. at this point. Second biggest domestic behind Force Awakens. I've been second best Thursday. Yeah, it's a juggernaut, which is makes sense because the buzz and the hype was so high. When did you see this movie? I saw this Thursday night. Thursday night? I wasn't actually planning. A, there's a new theater like a mile and a half from my house that like opened struggle like ran the open up for star wars i was able to buy a ticket to thursday night so that, that at like 5 p.m off to a on thursday side. night did you use that movie pass <laughs> i couldn't use movie pass the theater was so new it wasn't in movie pass Ooh. yet but i didn't even mind because obviously i'm so far ahead with movie pass. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got to use it for the first time with star wars and it was a very satisfying experience i'll put it that way i saw it yesterday so saw, uh, we record on mondays i saw it sunday night or Sunday morning, sorry, with uh, a bunch of our friends, actually. It was their second time seeing it. Most of them left saying that they enjoyed it more on the second watch than they did, they did the first time. Which I've seen that a lot. Seen that yeah, a lot. it kind of brings me to where I wanted to start off this conversation. On Rotten Tomatoes, this has 93% among critics, 56% yep. among fans. This film, is it as divisive as those numbers would lead you to say? Great question. I think it's important for them to talk about. If you look at the Metacritic, you look at the audience score on RT, and it's, yeah, it's low. It's in the 50s, right? How many people that are really big fans of something go to leave a good rating on that? Right. Usually people want to shitpost something negative because they feel the type of way because, you know. They're butthurt. They're, they're negative, right. Clearly a vocal minority that has a problem with the movie. And I think that's pretty obvious when you look at an A cinema score. Not an A minus, a fucking A. Cinema score is day one polling from people. General audiences love the movie critics love the movie only people that don't like the movie are a subsect of hardcore fans that are very personally attacked feel like it didn't deliver what they wanted therefore they don't like it and i mean if you want to get into this now i mean if you don't like a decision in a movie that's fine i mean it's like oh i would have done something differently that's a perfectly normal reaction to say when you're enjoying any piece of art really Mm -hmm. But what I don't like and I think makes your opinion look bad and it really, I think you lose any credibility is when you say you didn't like a decision and in turn you say the movie was bad. Right. If you can't separate your subjectivity from being objective, then you don't really have a credible opinion. I don't think like your critical eye matters because the movie is objectively good. The movie does so many things great and at the very least, the good far outweighs the bad. But, I mean, there's there's hot takes going around that it's not Star Wars and it's as bad as the prequels. And, like, that, that's just incorrect. Like, I don't know how you can actually say that and try and have light to stand on. Like, you could not like things that happened, but it doesn't mean the movie was bad. Yeah, you know, to kind of build off of that, one of the things that J.J. Abrams did with Force Awakens was, I mean, he had a really tough job. The, the prequels are slammed by... Star Wars fans for being not as good as the originals, although it was what Revenge of the Sith is considered to be a, a one a, one of the better movies of the franchise, probably definitely above the the first two. Yes, J.J. Abrams comes in, he has these totally new characters with the old heads as well, and he's trying to not only service 
Star Wars fans, but also create a setup for a trilogy moving forward. So he had a pretty tough job, and he did he did I thought a decent job. I, I don't think the Force Awakens is a perfect movie by any chance, but he did what he needed to do for the franchise. Right, but like the critiques, the very obvious critiques of it being kind of rehashy and a little bit of safe movie, they don't really don't matter because, like you said, the movie's main job was to get old fans back, bring new fans in. It was comfort food. That's what it needed to be, and it totally succeeded you can acknowledge those critiques of the force awakens which i think are important to, to recognize if you like film but still understand that it's okay right so the, the, this is where it's probably gonna get a little bit spoilery jj abrams in setting up this new world also left a lot untold which makes sense he's not going to explain everything in one movie he asked a lot of questions right. he wrote stuff down he didn't really he didn't finish anything obviously he just kind of started the story but with all those questions led people to have wild speculation which is part of what makes being a fan of any kind of franchise or tv show or anything fun you know thinking about the possibilities of something sure and ryan johnson came in and basically was like oh yeah all those theories you had nope ray's parents they're nobody luke hates being a jedi he's not going to really help out that much until Snoke the very end. does not matter <laughs> doesn't matter I love it. All. but you know what that's why this movie was actually great because if this had been a normal Star Wars movie, Ray probably would have been either related to Obi Wan or like Ben Solo's like long lost twin sister or some yeah. bullshit like or that. Or even Luke's daughter or something. Right, Luke's daughter, and it would have just been the story about these people. But I think Ryan Johnson, probably knowing he was gonna be handed the keys to something larger, was like I need to set up something for the future here, and yeah. that's why he was able to take these risks. This actually might be a good place to jump in with what were the things about the movie we liked? Because I think the things that we liked are probably going to line up well with the risks Ryan Johnson took. So why don't you start? Yeah, let's start with something you just said. Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke. We only see him in a really cool, like, big hologram in The Force Awakens. He's the leader of the First mm -hmm. Order, commanding Hux and Kylo Ren. You hear from Leia and Han that Snoke kind of seduced kylo probably set him off the path to the dark side and whatnot and that's kind of all we know in the force awakens and he has like two talking scenes with kylo and hux and then we get to the last jedi and there's a great throne room scene snoke dies and god did i love that i mean some of the hardcore fans are like oh what is snoke we don't know anything about him the origins and i was like what did we need to know about him he was a boring character he was a character we know he was pure evil really powerful in the dark side of the force what else did you need mm -hmm. to know oh did he come from right. something was he dark plagueis you know was he city emperor palpatine's old no th that's master right? again destroy the past like that doesn't fucking matter this is about kylo ren who we'll get to why we gotta waste time with snoke we don't need to go down that trope and i mean that that moment that, i don't want to cut you off but that moment when i was watching it was really when i was like whoa because i mean you, you see luke like throw the lightsaber but like i thought it was going to be kind of you know even when, when luke found yoda yoda was willing to like mentor him but it took a little while he had to like win him over a bit right the, so like i thought maybe it'll come around when they killed off snoke i was like this movie is fucking not like any other star wars movie because there was no way snoke would have died in this this part of the trilogy he would have died in the last one with some major really you know, ray killing kylo and right like basically the movie will build up to kylo and ray teaming up to take down the ultimate evil supreme leader snoke right and i mean let's not forget emperor palpatine you don't know fucking anything about emperor palpatine until we get to 1999 and we watch the prequels and then we learn too much about palpatine uh, we don't even know <laughs> palpatine's fucking we don't even know his fucking name in, in emperor he's, he's just pure evil he serves a purpose right he's, he's a plot device 
<laughs> we didn't need Snoke to be anything more. The fact that they, nope. that's the past. We don't need to worry about that because the relationship between Kylo and Rey is so much more important to a story and more interesting. Uh, it's an amazing Way more decision. interesting. That, that actually brings me to something else that I think I really liked, which it touches on two things. One, Ryan Johnson basically was like, we're going to give this to Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver. We have four young stars in this. We have you know Oscar Isaac, John Boyega, D- Daisy Ridley, and Adam Driver. And the, the two main ones need to be the ones that shine. You know, Snoke gives them this ability to basically have like FaceTime calls through the Force. Awesome. Uh, and Adam, Dri- Adam Driver's like, we're going to get slightly more sexual through each one of these. Like, until can, I'm you, can you put something on? Yeah, I know. <laughs> And I thought that not only putting making this about their relationship and the conflict within both of them was phenomenal, but also taking risks with what the Force was. And basically redefining the Force in this movie was such a good call. Kind of ending with, you know, broom, what was that, like Tauntaun horse boy at the end, like calling his broom over, setting up for something larger and the possibilities of the universe is just really, really exciting. Right, and I, I think that really ties into... What happens with Luke? Going to The Force Awakens, we know that Luke is gone. Kylo ran off and killed killed off his temple and, you know, went with Snoke. And Luke felt bad and he left. He went in exile. And the whole movie is about finding Luke. And even Kylo is trying to find the map to Luke Skywalker, right? Last Shadow, we finally understand what is actually Luke like now. He's, he's old, obviously, but he's in self-imposed exile. The fact that he is such, has, he's such, a, it's such so much gray area about his perception of the Force, I think, is amazing. And this is another point of contention for some of those hardcore dorks. They're like, oh, this bastardized Luke's character. It's so out of character. He would never do this. And it's like, all right, well, what's, let's get our notebooks out. Let's actually think about what happened here with Luke. Luke saw that the Jedi were so consumed by the light side of the Force, they thought in extreme situations that they could, you know, they had to use it as a militant force of war, right? We saw that in the prequels. The Jedi were so blind they didn't see Palpatine right under their nose. And right. Luke, someone who idolized the Jedi of what he knew of them, of course, and then meeting you know, old Ben and having such a great mentor for a short time, came to realize through his failures with Kylo that the Jedi way is just, it was honestly pretty backward because they were so blind. In a moment of weakness, he had the same issue where he thought force was the way to do it. He would cut down Kylo only for a moment. Obviously, it went badly, and he broke faith because he realized all of that was wrong. And I, I think that's kind of a, a meta observation of us as people, as fans, and the Force going forward. Like you said, the Force is much more mystical, as we learned in the original trilogy. And the old, the preconceived notions we had about the Force, they, they don't matter. And nope. the fact that Luke, it kind of is, kind of represents that for the movie. I think is awesome. It's a great way to have the character, and it's funny because. Mark Hamill, actually, I don't think was really a fan of the direction uh, when he first read the script. But did we need Mark Hamill to come be an old, old guy and get killed by Snoke or something? Like, no, I just think it's riskier, of course, but so much more interesting to see the way his character has changed. Um, and it obviously, it manifests throughout the rest of the movie, but I've loved everything that happened with Luke. You know, just to kind of tie up that conversation about Mark Hamill, because I, I think his performance is, like, supporting actor worthy for the Oscars. I, I just thought... Not only, like, the, the way he played him, but the way he was, like, snarky at times. Even though, like, some of it felt a little strange, like, you know, in the final battle scene when he, like, brushes his shoulder off. I was like, eh. <laughs> I okay. I, I, I chuckled, but I was like, I don't know if, like, that totally fits. But did you like the way that Luke kind of went into the Force or died yeah, or whatever it was? I did. I think some people didn't, but I thought that was awesome. I mean, 
what did we need to see his old ass get cut down? Like, I, right. I, I mean, no, I thought that was cool. <laughs> he outsmarted Kylo. He saved everyone using the Force, and it was all he had left. Get rid of the past. I think Luke's time had come. You know, he's his view had changed. I don't think we needed Luke to come back and be old Luke. You know, oh, there's old Uncle Luke. Like, no, it, it's okay. <laughs> I think I like this way more. I agree, and you know, also. This, this speaks to something else I like that the movie did. Other than really the first, I don't know, 25 minutes with Leia basically leading the Republic and, or uh, the, yeah, not the Republic, the, the Rebels. And then at the end when she kind of had like her last like 10 minutes on screen, she was pretty much in a hospital, <laughs> in, a, in a coma for most of the movie. C-3PO had like maybe like three or four scenes. R2-D2 had one scene. Chewbacca was just, you know, frying porgs. <laughs> <laughs> while Daisy Ridley's do like fighting like doing like fight scenes by herself against rocks. You know, like they they really took the old guard and though they had their moments. Other than Luke, no one really had the ball that much in this and I, I didn't mind that. I think that moving it more into the Poe, Rey, Kylo sphere yeah. makes so much more sense for the trilogy moving forward. Right, and I mean you mentioned Poe, I think Poe he doesn't do a whole lot in the movie, but Oscar Isaac gets a lot more scenes, you know, in turn, you know, mm-hmm. a lot more dialogue anyway, um, which is great. Of course, he's one of the great actors we have right now. And I think, honestly, J.J. didn't do Johnson any favors with Poe because I think Poe was supposed to die in early drafts for The Force Awakens, but they realized, I think, that they had such a great talent that they should try and make the character <laughs> better. So he makes sense, and now he's got a, a good comic book line and uh, yada yada. I think some people are criticizing the film saying, oh, well, what was the point of the movie? Nothing happens. Like, it's just, there's no narrative involvement. And again, I'm like, about the fucking character work that's so amazing. Like, right. That's not that important. Nevertheless, they don't do a whole lot. But again, I didn't fucking give a shit. I thought the movie was, was spectacular and engrossing. I thought the Poe stuff was really fun. And Vice Admiral Holdo, Laura Dern's character, rocking that, uh, that mm-hmm. purple. Some people thought this, her secrecy was, you know, out of place, didn't make a lot of sense. Eh, maybe I, agree know, that. I think that that's fine i think that's a minor gripe considering you see how it ends where she has that hyperspace kamikaze run where it cuts to black and white and goes yeah. silent i mean how many directors can pull that off in a blockbuster film that was a beautiful sequence not only like black and white but the contrast from basically everybody within the command center of the the empire ship just like screaming take down that ship take down the ship and then just goes silent and just cuts through and like the way you just see like the whole like the line in it was fucking incredible one, one of the probably the most striking visuals of the entire star wars filmography at this point holdo though i thought for a second they were gonna make her kind of like the the next leia in a way like after things had happened with leia i thought that maybe they would have reversed those roles which i felt would have been totally out of character and just wouldn't make sense so i'm glad that they actually did do that i don't know if they really solved what's gonna happen with leia but i think whatever the time lapses between this movie and the next will solve that would you how'd you feel about carrie fisher as leia throughout the yeah i think she delivers a great performance what'd you think about that force flying I'll get to that in a second. So she actually worked with Ryan Johnson on the character because Carrie Fisher is a well-known script doctor. You know, she's got a very, she's an author. You know, she she, she didn't do a whole ton of acting personally, but she's very involved, obviously very smart mind when it comes to that stuff. So I really liked, you know, the character and the the performance. I think it was probably her, it was was her best performance as Leia. Definitely. The force flying thing happens very early, honestly. It's a pretty jarring scene. R.I.P. Admiral Akbar. First of all, I mean, didn't even get any like shine either. Like, yeah, Akbar's dead. <laughs> Everybody just moved on. Right. Like, what? 
And like, dude's been through every battle since like 1970. I think that's a perfectly fine thing to critique. It was jarring, but I didn't personally mind it just because I didn't necessarily find it unbelievable when I think about everything else I accept in Star Wars. Let's think. Luke Skywalker used the training remote on the Falcon for like five minutes, right? Talked to Obi-Wan a few times. And then he used the Force and he guided a proton torpedo and killed the Death Star. Okay, we accept <laughs> that. That's fine. Rey, we know, doesn't have any gifted lineage, no Force lineage, right? She's just naturally gifted in the Force. No real training. She kicks Kylo's ass, who at least had some training. Lots of training. She kills the Praetorian guards after Kylo kills Snoke and still can hold her own against Kylo Ren. We accept that, right? Because Rey, Rey's cool, right? So... Leia, who's related to Luke, who we already accepted, can do all these cool Force things. If the Force helps her stay alive in space, uh, you know, I think there's crazier things I've seen. <laughs> Have we seen any of the Star Wars characters actually be out in space like that? Not, in the, not in the movies, anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, again, like, if you, you want to pick it apart, I think you can. But I think it's a very minor thing that it really doesn't matter one way or the other. All these people that are so mad about no plot happening, oh, then why do you care about something that's not plot anyway? You know, like, let's keep right. it consistent. Here. Weird thing to say, but I almost feel like it was, like, the length of how far she flew. Like, if she had been, yeah. like, five or six feet out the door and, like, somehow, like, found her way to the door, like, to the door using the force, I would have felt like that. But she literally was just, like, like, never have seen, never have ever seen Leia use the force to that extent. We, obviously, we know that she's somewhat connected to it, but I think that that, and also just the way it was done, I mean, it was like she was glowing like a ghost as yeah. she was flying, which I was kind of like, eh. It was CGI really heavy, kind of. for sure. Yeah, it stood out. But look, like you said, it's a minor thing that I, I don't think took away from the movie for me overall. If that's that's my, my biggest complaints about the movie, I don't mind that. I kind of want to just jump to probably my favorite part of the movie. That third act was just unbelievable. Starting with the lightsaber scene between with Kylo and Rey, which we already alluded to. Kylo turns on Snoke, kills him using Rey's lightsaber. And then Snoke's fucking badass ninja bodyguard jedis our sith lords decided to avenge snoke's death and they have like the coolest back-to-back fighting lightsaber battle i've ever seen yeah interesting of note no actual lightsabers touched in this movie obviously because luke wasn't actually physically there right first time that's ever happened yeah those Korean guards who we knew about from promotional material and stuff they had all those different weapons that was an awesome fight honestly like again we talked about why narratively the snoke death was great but also, I think in-universe, it was really cool, too, because as soon as we got to that scene, Ray Ray's a puppet to Snoke. Snoke's so much more powerful, right? And we've already accepted that Ray is just naturally gifted. But could she just strike down Snoke like that? I think that's more of a stretch than Leia, you know, flying through space. The fact that uh, Snoke has so much hubris and so confident in his abilities that he was reading Kylo's mind and he just misinterpreted it. He didn't realize Kylo was about to fucking cut him in half. That was yeah. awesome. I mean, frankly, I think that's a more believable way to, for him to go out than them to team up and kill him in episode nine like all the fans wanted you know i agree build up to this scene is great and then obviously it, it, it's so stunning and then it ends with the lightsaber uh pulling apart and the, the dichotomy between ray and, and kylo and obviously the performances are accentuated it, it was a stunning scene yeah and also just the way that they fought in this scene because you know it's not like phantom menace where you have darth maul doing flips with some crazy two-sided lightsaber i mean them in the middle they were obviously fighting really beautifully choreography on that was just unbelievable ray wins by dropping her lightsaber ducking out of a chokehold and picking it up and cutting a guy in half or kylo's about to die and she throws a lightsaber to him and 
puts it through the guy's eye. Like, it wasn't like they were super skilled and trained. It was just that they wanted it more, which I liked about this. It seemed somewhat realistic in, in the sense of how realistic Star Wars could actually be. Right. And then and let's think about how it ends. So Kylo doesn't pull the trigger on Leia, right? His his two, two buddies do. Mm-hmm. So he hesitated to kill his mom. The whole buildup in Force Awakens. We don't know if he was planning on killing Han the whole time or he just decided in that moment once he had that conversation, right? Kylo is so awesome because he's, he's like unfinished evil, right? Yeah. He's not totally gone, but he's well on his way. And he's so fucking compelling because of it. And then, and then we're like, oh, he killed Snoke. He's interested in Rey. They're going to team up, right? No, they fucking doubled down on Kylo mm-hmm. as the bad guy. It was so fucking good. And Rey just yep. wants nothing to do with it. And then we talked about, you know, the, the space phone that they have. I mean, mm-hmm. right. Driver's performance is fucking insane. It's so good. And the physicality he brings, but also he ditches the mask in the beginning of the movie because Snoke makes fun of it. And we just get to Which see. Which was a great decision. Of course, because we get to see him actually act more. And man, I mean, I, just, I need to see the movie again because I just can't stop gushing about everything he does. I think Kylo Ren is, it might be one of the best, if not the best, movie blockbuster villain there ever was. He's so compelling. He's so. Complex. Complex, right. I mean, even Darth Vader starts out very one note then we learn he's luke's dad Mm -hmm. of course but like kylo man kylo's so i think the really amazing thing about kylo is he really is still this wounded kid in all of this you know this kid who whatever his issue was with his parents was angry at them he was not really sure about what he wanted to do and his uncle kind of doubted him and, and he felt threatened and he became this like hurt child who driver does that so well like the scene where they're in the atat and you know, he sees Luke come out and he's like, I want every gun to fire on that. The way he's, he delivers that line, just like the pure like anger and fear and hatred that comes through. It sounds like a little kid. And then when he when he's like, lower me down. And the guy's like, you can't go down there. And he throws Hux against the side. And the other guy's like, all right, I'll lower you down. Like, it's so perfect. But he really is just like this kid. And that's what comes through is that vader like it was this robot half robot by the time he got to him and then you find out he's luke's dad and he becomes more human by the end when he finally takes the mask off kylo is fully human in this and that's that's what's so compelling about him which is like ray said she sees the conflict and the conflict is there and that's why he's compelling and again it's just like luke's view of the force and luke's view on everything it's great mm-hmm. It's not right. black and white. Star Wars used to be good versus evil, black versus white. This is what we expected as fans. Ryan Johnson flipped fucking all of this. Yeah. And kudos to JJ for helping set up Kylo Ren, such a great character. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Johnson really brings it home. And some people are like, oh, I mean, I'm not excited for the next movie. I'm, you know, I mean, what, what's going to happen? And again, why is the plot the fixation for you when you have all this excellent stuff? that you never expected Star Wars could do for you. Right. It's just a marvel how good this fucking movie is. It's just spectacular, and spectacular because of the risks it takes, but the risks it pulls off. It just makes me sad when I see people with, like, reductive takes or they're, they're, they're you know, mis- misguided about it because it's, like, it's just, I just find it disappointing, you know, because, like, God, you just, I feel like you're just not appreciating what's so obviously amazing. It's interesting to think about because I almost feel like with something like this where it basically like, answers all the mysteries that we have about this story there's so many so many more possibilities moving forward i mean you kind of know that the stories between these two people i mean there's like a little bit of a love triangle starting which 
I mean, Finn, I guess we should talk about Finn. I feel like... Definitely a weak point in the movie. No no question. Yeah, but Boyega's performance and, and just him as an actor in general is phenomenal. But the storyline with, uh, what was her name, Karen Marie Tran? Kelly Marie Tran plays Rose. Yes, Rose. I mean, definitely Rose is a unique character within the Star Wars universe, someone that you no- wouldn't normally see, I feel like. At least someone like Tran playing that role. Because this the setup is interesting because she's like, oh, you're Finn. Like, you're famous. You're a hero. It's, it's very meta. And I like the way it started anyway. But yeah, then the whole thing going to the the casino world, even though there were some cool moments within that, it just felt like it could have been cut out and made this movie a little shorter, which which is one thing I will say. People are saying that's a criticism. I think that's a fair criticism. It felt like a long fucking movie. Sure. No, I, I agree. Especially because like the Rose stuff, Finn and Rose stuff, there is lull. I thought the horse CGI wasn't bad, but it was a little off, I think, or just not up as good as the other stuff. I wouldn't say it was predictable plotting, but it just, like, it never felt truly consequential, you know? And I think a big part of this is that, I don't know if they had to blame this on J.J., Johnson, Kathleen Kennedy, all of them, probably. Don't know if they really had a true plan for who (laughs) Finn was, you know? Like, what is Finn supposed to be? Force Awakens, he starts out as the fake-out. Oh, Ray's actually the hero, not Finn. But remember, the first actual trailer, you get Finn when he's, like, you know, holding the saber before he fights Kylo and gets fucked up, you know? While I kind of was hoping he was going to get fucking killed on the on crate in the speeder fight. or Yeah, I wish he had just driven into the cannon. Or at least Rose kicked him out and Rose killed herself instead. I was hoping that happened. One of those two things happened. But Boyega, he has plot armor, I guess. But it's tough to... It's tough because I just don't know if they ever fully developed the character. And it's definitely the low point, weakest part of the movie. And it's kind of disappointing that Finn isn't becoming more. I think his friendship with Rey is probably the strongest aspect of it. Yeah, you know, with Finn, I basically shared your, your thoughts. It seemed like they wrote the story and they were like, oh, wait, we have to fit Finn in here somehow. So we're going to put him on this like little side quest. Especially because they decided that they wanted to use Poe more than they probably initially planned. Right. I don't know how they'll they'll make it fit. You know, it seems like, like there's a love triangle going, at least by the end. I don't really know... I kind of hope they don't go with that because I don't really know how much a love triangle, how compelling that would be for the yeah. third episode. I, I don't know if Ray and Finn are actually going to have romantic feelings. I don't think they might just try and keep it as a friendship. We'll see. And I don't really care about Rose all that much. <laughs> no, it's tough to. I mean, when you're in a weak part of the movie, it's tough to like somebody totally. But Boyega just in general is dynamic. So JJ, I think, used them really well in the first one. So if anyone can probably find a way to fit True. him in, it'll probably be jj you know it actually kind of reminds me i mean finn boyega he has no clear archetype clear analog to the original trilogy like poe is so obviously han right leia is still there <laughs> ray is effectively young luke but who is finn what, what yeah what is he like chewy like, i don't know he, he doesn't really fit uh, right he's not lando so who is well that's good the problem is they just they don't have they don't know identity for him either speaking of something that didn't really matter in force awakens so johnson just said fuck it captain phasma gwendolyn christie yep. brianna of tarth she was heavily marketed in Force Awakens. Doesn't really do much except yell at Finn in the beginning and then take down the shields on Starkler base at the end. She comes back in one scene and she falls into a fiery pit and probably dies in The Last Jedi. So I think they just kind of... too bad because w- w- when she signed on, I think we all were pumped. I mean, seeing this Game of Thrones star playing this almost like Boba Fett type role and then, nope, just gonna die at the end. Well, Boba Fett type kind of role. Cool armor, right? Well... Is she not like Boba Fett now? Yeah, She's actually in exactly. less scenes than Boba Fett, but Boba Fett was not in that many scenes across two movies. And Boba Fett also went out like a bitch. So like <laughs> the, the the mystery of Boba Fett, the mystique and just the general coolness is what made him such a great character. I mean, in the movies, he, as 
from what you know from the movie, he's very light. So, but I, I like that Johnson's like, hey, you know, we don't need to keep that going. Let's focus on what's working. So, don't have a problem with it. And heck, maybe she lived. I don't know. She has like, yeah. really good armor. Maybe she got b- baked in there. Maybe she. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. It's uh, I don't know how they how they fucking save people when their ship gets cut in half. <laughs> we we don't really need need to know. I guess it doesn't really matter. But it's just something interesting to think about. A couple more things because we're running a little long here, so we should probably start to wrap up. Yoda comes back, basically is like as a puppet. Luke, yeah, a pu- puppet Yoda, which is very cool. Call back to obviously Empire. He basically is like, yeah, Luke, you don't even know what's in these fucking texts. You don't even, like, care. Like, mm, just burn it all down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just basically, like, summons lightning and sets that, that old right. ash tree on. And that was awesome, too, because I thought that was, like, a passing in the torch. It's like, Luke, guess what? You're kind of right about this whole forces gray shit. Back in the day, me and my homie Mace, we fucked up. And then I got all fucking crazy and old, but you got it. So let's let's get a move on here, buddy. And like, I, I, thought, that, I thought that was cool. <laughs> let's go, Luke. Yeah, honestly, when I first saw Yoda, I was like, oh, like I almost like audibly groaned. So I was like, what are they doing here? And then it worked so well. And I thought exactly. it was like, I, I thought it was necessary, especially just in thinking about Luke's character. Like one of the things I think he always kind of struggled with was being okay with that gray. He always was looking for like the one side or the other. And Yoda just needed to be like, dude, like you said, like chill the fuck out. Like you're fine. <laughs> pretty much and that got luke exactly where he needed to be i just want to shout out all the animals in this porgs those uh silver like fox type things on a crate they're like the pokemon vulpix on a yeah the alolan island where it's all icy it's a fucking pokemon yeah. <laughs> i actually had the same exact thought i just thought that that added to the world because it's yeah. just like animals are never really talked about unless like luke's cutting one open to live to survive on Hoth, yeah. you know? <laughs> the, the cre- Animals matter. The creatures are a big part of Star Wars, right? Both big and small, when they matter, like the Rancor, when they really don't like the Wampa, you know? Uh, it's all over the place. And while the the horse thing, again, was, was kind of weak, I mean, it's cool to see a, a cool new creature. And even, like, that alien dude in the casino, you know? The Vulpix skies were, were awesome. We hear the, the ice clinking as they walk, right? And then the porgs, I mean, hashtag porg has an emoji. Porgs are like this huge thing that people either love or they hate. And like, I can get if you, you know, you think, oh, there's a little too much cuteness or whatever. I mean, I, I frankly, I don't think it's any more than previous Star Wars films. I think that's an inherent aspect of Star Wars, both that kind of humor and again, like just creatures. But also, the porgs don't fucking do anything. So let's slow our no. roll. They're just there. They just make some noise yeah. a little bit. Ewoks actually did stuff they killed stormtroopers in armor with fucking rocks and spears okay the porgs just fly around jar jar not only was he a racist african-american stereotype but he gave palpatine powers the porgs they're just there it's okay (laughs) i agree yeah two more things so one i wanted to shout out that that scene on crate just like the visualness of uh the red yeah the red with the white it just was so amazing we we saw in the trailer i think we talked about then but like it's just who really thinks of that ryan johnson just amazing yeah and then i think the other piece that is like important to talk about just from the, the standpoint of not really sure how to like move into this so we have all these archetypes with this and then it, basically at the end we see everybody survives and like the rebels there's like what 50 of them left not even and like <laughs> everybody's like yeah how are how are the rebels going to survive there's like this beacon of hope coming out we had like this nice ending between luke and leia but it really is moving into like these new people there's going to be a time jump in the for the next movie it, it's almost like bound to happen unless it's going to be ray really just like 
about to Westbrook this last part of the trilogy and just defeat the Empire by herself. So things are going to be different by the time we come back. Is there anything that you're expecting or hoping to see for the, the, the third installment at this point? No, I mean, I think the, the most important thing for episode nine is the continued resolution and probably finality of the Ray and Kylo relationship. Can Kylo be redeemed? Does he want to be redeemed? Does he get redeemed through death? Don't know. You can talk yourself into any decision you want, honestly. But that's what I care about. Honestly, the resistance, the good versus evil stuff, again, that's kind of been grayed out now. Do I think the good guys will mostly come out on top by the end? Of course I do. That's just how movies get. That's how we we tell stories. Right. I'm really excited to see what they do because also J.J. is given this. The table was flipped. The Monopoly board was flipped by Ryan Johnson. Now J.J. has to figure out how to wrap it up. And J.J. helped produce The Last Jedi, so it's not like he's pissed off or anything. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how it goes down. Yeah, I, th- I think what I'm I'm looking forward to is how because they've done a really good job with like the dark parts of of the Star Wars in the last couple of movies, especially Rogue One. How they incorporate that because I, I don't think it's gonna be like all the good guys survive. Like I would be very surprised if both Poe and Finn make it to the end, or both of them. I, I would also like you talked about the Kylo Ray relationship, but I think we're gonna see callbacks to at least Luke as a, a Force ghost, if not Leia as well. Probably. I also would imagine that they're probably going to have some other Easter eggs in there, whether it's, I don't know, Lando's probably not alive at this point, right? I mean, he'd have to be as old as Han to be old. He'd be an old man. Right. So it, it, it could be interesting if we see something like that in the last one. I'm really excited for it. We have another two years before we're ever going to see it. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of talk and speculation. But to just wrap it up, is there anything that you that we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about with this? Real quick, Rogue One actually had an Easter egg. When Jyn Erso is going over the Empire's computer towards the end of Rogue One, when she's reading out all the stuff before they find the plans, one thing she says is hyperspace tracking navigational systems. Uh, so the Empire was working on that technology that the First Order used. That, that is pretty cool. A little cool thing that you totally did not think mattered when you watched Rogue And I think, honestly, my last is that uh, the vocal minority is like, oh, you, ch- you changed Hux. You made Hux comic relief. So fucking what? Hux was a caricature, an evil caricature before. Now he's funny. The post stuff with him is awesome. Why does it matter if he changes character a little bit? I actually didn't even feel like Hux changed that much because he was a bitch in the first one. He was a bitch in this one. Exactly. Let's see the forest through the trees. Here, right, guys. exactly. Now, overall, I think the takeaway for us is this movie, I think it's going to be on both our end of year lists. It's really good. Ryan Johnson's fucking amazing. And I'm ready for his, his three movies. Macro thing, not even Star Wars. This movie says a lot about what you can do with a block in terms of throwing ideas on its head, in terms of having an amazing... More blockbusters should set out to be as ambitious as The Last Jedi is. I agree. So We absolutely recommend that you spread the good word about it because there is some annoying negativity. Some stuff is, is well-reasoned, a lot of it is. We're going to wrap up there. This is going on 75 minutes. We're almost at an Eminem album at this point. We wanted to just uh, give you all a shout out to the holidays. Thank you for all your support this year and show us some love. Uh, you know, share us with your friends, give us a rating and review and a, subs- uh, a subscription. We want to grow. We want you to grow with us. Help us help you. Find Dave at Martin Swagger, me at CD World Peace. Next week, we'll be bringing you best songs, uh, best albums, and best movies of the year. Keep an eye out for that. Nostalgia Pod doesn't stop grinding as 2017 halts to a close. And we love you guys. We'll be seeing you soon. May the force be with you.